The following study is a Sunday morning lesson given by Pastor Brett Metter at Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. On Wednesday night, Lord willing, we'll be back at it uh, after a little bit of a, a break. Uh, the season, uh, holiday season, kind of got us busy with some, some other things, but back at it Wednesday night, 7 o'clock right here, we'll be covering, Lord willing, chapter 3, 4, and 5 of Ecclesiastes. That's the goal. Um, but I'd like to draw your attention to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. It says there, And moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Solomon's back at it, talking about things under the sun. If you were with us in our previous studies, that's a key phrase to understand what he's talking about. When he says, under the sun, he's really talking secular. Things that are apart from God. He is himself at a place in his life apart from God. He's, he's not walking with the Lord. And so when he says, oh, everything's under the sun is vanity, which doesn't mean that everything's vanity. Everything only under the sun, you know, apart from God. And that's the idea. And, and he's kind of in this place of experiencing this practically. He knows as he's not walking with the Lord, as, and that's where Ecclesiastes really comes from. His separation from God, his sinful condition, and everything's vanity in his eyes. But one of the things he observes, and he's kind of moping and sad about, is this idea of, of the righteous and the wicked. He says, man, I see judgment. And I looked to the wicked, and I saw that there was judgment and unrighteousness there. Then he said, I looked to the righteous, and I saw iniquity. Um, have you ever noticed that? Uh, I've noticed that, that um, people are surprised when they look to what they perceive to be righteousness or holiness, and they actually find iniquity there. You know, we've talked about this a million times before. People come to church, oh, I found it interesting at Athey Creek that there's sinners there. And people are like, they found out some big news or something. It's like, nope, that's the oldest news that we've all got here to say is we're, yeah, we're all sinners. Uh, congratulations. Good eye. <laughs> um, it's true. When you look for righteousness where there's unrighteousness, good luck. You'll never find it. And the thing that Solomon's kind of saying is, man, so what a bummer. There's no righteousness and judgment's coming. And that's kind of where he leaves it under the sun. Apart from God, we're toast. Paul the Apostle, that's what he spends much of the book of Romans talking about. He says to you and me and all of the Roman Empire, man, there's no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, no one really seeks after God. No one ever seeks to do good. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of a depressing thing apart from God or under the sun. And later on, it was, well, we read on Wednesday night, Solomon will say, and because of that, the righteous, the unrighteous, we're all going to die like dogs. We're going to die like beasts, he says. There's no difference between the, the animal that gets run over out on the highway and you. That's kind of the way he ends this discussion. Not real happy, Solomon. He, he, you know, he's, he's a little blue. Um, and you say, well, Brett, that is kind of depressing. Everybody's unrighteous. Uh, judgment and wrath is coming. But see, that's under the sun, S-U-N. Remember what we were supposed to do uh, in our previous study, we realized the key is to look at everything under the sun, S-O-N. That is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came and visited humanity. 
You see, this idea of judgment coming, God's judgment, it is coming. His wrath is on the way. It's true. The Bible talks a ton about that. A lot of people don't like talking about it because it freaks people out. The wrath of God, it's coming. Judgment. When we talk about end times and, um, you know, eschatology, the end times of, of the world, that the Bible talks a lot about, it includes a lot of wrath and judgment. And so people are like, yeah, we don't want to talk about that. Churches are avoiding the topic altogether um, because they just want to talk about victory. Man, I'm going to live my life in victory. Um, I'm going to live large. I'm going to have a happy house and a nice, nice car, and I'm going to be doing good, and God bless you. Um, that, that's, that's a certain way of preaching, I suppose. But you're leaving out a real part that people are going to go to hell. Uh, that people are, are, are unrighteous, and there's wrath coming. Uh, we need to kind of tell the whole story and not avoid something that the Bible talks a lot about. So, but the problem is a lot of people don't know the whole story. They know under the sun, S-U-N, like Solomon. Man, there's wrath coming, judgment. Here's a question for you. Here, Solomon lumps together the righteous and the wicked. They're all unrighteous. They're all going to die like dogs. But here's the question, a little question for you. Does God destroy the righteous with the wicked? The answer is no. Um, but you say, well, then who's righteous? But you just said no one is righteous. Yeah, but this is where, you know, when you go verse by verse through the Bible, we've been covering a bunch of things that start to make the puzzle pieces come together in our understanding of what happens with you and me and with God and our relationship with him. Remember our study we did a few months back on imputed righteousness. Man, that's a key. If you missed that, that that's uh, Christianity 101, man. You've got to know what, what imputed righteousness is all about. But in a nutshell, in that study, we learned that, man, you didn't deserve to be called righteous. We didn't earn the uh, right to be called righteous. But you and I have been given the gift of righteousness. We're saved by grace through faith, not of our works. You see, that's Ephesians 2.8. But it's all through the Bible. Let, let's back up. I want to show you this thread about this kind of line of thinking, and we'll get into the whole thing. Wrath, judgment, death, hell, but salvation. That's the key. So um, what, what's this deal? Will the Lord destroy the righteous with the wicked? Let's back up. Would you turn with me in the book of Genesis? And I want to show you kind of a little uh, debate uh, or barter thing that went on between Abraham and the Lord himself. Now, the story is kind of interesting. Um, God had determined to destroy a city called Sodom. It was a city that was their number one sin, believe it or not, was pride. Um, but in their pridefulness, there was all kinds of sinfulness as well. And it was, it was a lost city. It was um, so sinful, so horrendous that God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom. So he shows up in Abraham's tent one day. Abraham's living way out there in the desert. And uh, in the heat of the day, uh, this, these two angels and, and God in, a, in human form. We would call that a theophany or a Christophany, some would say, uh, where it was a, a pre-incarnate appearance of God um, there with Abraham, with two angels. And the, the, the Lord says, should I reveal this thing to Abraham that I'm about to do to Sodom? He says, I will because I know Abraham that he'll be faithful to, to teach and share this with his family. So the Lord says, Abraham, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wipe out Sodom, the city, with fire and brimstone. Now, Abraham's going, okay, Lord, <laughs> cool um, problem. Abraham's got a nephew living in Sodom, Lot, and his wife and his two daughters. And, and Abraham's thinking, oh, no. Uh, well, well, is he going to destroy Lot too? So Abraham sort of sheepishly comes up to the Lord there in his tent and says this. It's, it's, it's Genesis 18. Why don't you turn there? Genesis chapter 18. 
And Abraham sort of draws near to the Lord, it says there in Genesis 18. And we'll begin in verse 23. 18, 23. It says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? That's a huge question of humanity right there. Um, Abraham goes on, peradventure, or, you know, he's saying, pretend there's, you know, 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Verse 26, and the Lord said, if I find in Sodom... 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now Abraham probably sits back and goes, oh, you're good, that's great. Uh, But oh no, what if there's not 50? What if there's not 50 righteous? Uh, Lord, hold on a second, he says. (laughs) Um, In verse 27, Abraham answered and said, behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Um, is that kind of funny? He's like, um, Lord, I'm dust and ashes. Sorry to bother you again about this. Um, my bad, um, is what he's saying. Verse 28, peradventure, or pretend there lack five of the 50. Will thou destroy the city for lack of five? In other words, if there's 45 righteous? Um, and he said, the Lord says in verse 28, and if, if I find 40 and five, I will not destroy it. Verse 29, and he spake unto him yet again and said, peradventure, there shall be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, Lord, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall be thirty found there. The Lord said, Then I will not do it for thirty. If I find thirty, okay, maybe the Lord didn't say it like that, but I would have. <laughs> Verse 31. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there be twenty found there. Very good Jewish bartering here going on. Uh, this is typical, you know, Abraham's going, oy vey, okay, you know, here we go. Um, 20, uh, verse 32, and he said, Oh, not, let the Lord not be angry. I will speak up at this once. Peradventure, 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if Abraham would have gone down to five uh, or four. Um, uh, but the Lord lit, left. Pure. Um, verse 33, the Lord went his way, and soon, as soon as he had left, communi- uh, communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now you say, okay, Brett, um, Abraham was worried for a lot, um, and somehow Abraham sensed that there, there must be at least 10 righteous in, in Sodom. As it turns out, there weren't. There were not 10 people righteous in Sodom. And if you remember the story, um, there were actually four, and if you ask me, they were sort of not even righteous, if you ask me. But for some reason, God would save four out of the whole city. Um, and it's because they were declared righteous. And one of the things we learn in the New Testament is God called Lot, Abraham's nep- nephew, righteous Lot, which is amazing. It, it makes me angry at first because Lot, there's nothing he did in the whole Bible that's righteous. I mean, everything I read about Lot is, I call him loser Lot, not righteous Lot. Uh, but, but the Lord calls him righteous Lot, so what does that mean? Well, it means that Lot was given what I would call imputed righteousness. God chose Lot. Um, and, and so un- unrighteous in my mind Lot was, he never even left Sodom. Yes, he did, Brad. I colored the picture in Sunday school. 
There's Lot and his, 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 his daughters and his wife running, and you know, Lot's wife becomes a salt shaker. You know, right there, you colored the story in Sunday school. Lot never left Sodom. In fact, we're, since we're in Genesis, look, look at the next chapter. Chapter 19, we see what actually happened. Verse, uh, verse 15, Genesis nineteen fifteen. it says, And when the morning rose, the angels hastened, uh, hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. There's an urgency there, isn't there? Verse 16, And while he lingered, what's that? That's like what happened this morning when you were trying to get to church with the kids. And you said, Come on, kids, time to go. And while they lingered, that's what happened. And then you had to do what? Grab them by the hand. Come on, kids, we're going to church. And you load them up. That's what Lot never left. While he lingered, verse 16, the men, the two angels, laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters and the Lord being merciful unto him. Um, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. <laughs> the angels picked up Lot and his family and set them outside of the city and verse 17, good advice. It came to pass when they brought them forth abroad they, that he said, escape for your life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Run for your life, man. Get out of Dodge or Sodom, as it were. You see, good news, the Lord does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Now, this is an interesting thing because this thread of thought throughout the scriptures I believe it's one of the most, if you let it you know, do its work in your heart and your mind, it's one of the most comforting things that you can ever hear. Because as I look at the world today, I can see how God is holy and righteous. And if he is holy and righteous, which he is, he demands judgment. God would not be righteous, by the way, if he just kind of winked at all of humanity's sin and said, yeah, whatever, you know, people are just people and they're just a bunch of losers. So, well... That's not God. God is righteous, and he, he demands righteousness. So the world will be judged. That's one of the things the Bible says. And the wrath of God will be poured out upon a Christ-rejecting, sinful world. The Bible tells us clearly that that's what's going to happen. And so that makes some people nervous. But if you understand that the Lord will never destroy the righteous with the wicked, he will not judge the righteous with the wicked. Um, that's, not, that's not what's going to happen. Solomon didn't understand that under the sun in a secular view, saying, well, what is God going to destroy all of us like dogs? That's, that's kind of what he thinks. But it's not what's going to happen. In fact, it, it's interesting because you never see God destroying the righteous with the wicked. What you actually see is this. Before God's wrath comes down, you see him pulling the people that he declares righteous out. See, this is, by the way, one of the reasons why, as I see the way that the Bible speaks about the end times, I'm personally convinced that the rapture of the church is going to happen before God's wrath is poured out upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. What's that, Brett? Rapture, church, end times? Okay, just understand this. There's a lot of good Christian people who have different views on this. But one of the views that is the only comforting view, in my opinion— the only uh, view of eschatology, that's just the study of end times when you read the Bible. And some people say, I don't like studying end time stuff. Then you don't like studying one-fourth of the Bible. 
One-fourth of the Bible deals with end-time stuff. So don't be one of those you know, people that um, are ignorant about the Lord's plan of end times. I, I hope you're not one of those people who say, I'm, I'm a pan, but you're a pre-trib, there's post-trib, oh, I'm millennial, uh, I'm pan-trib, what's that? I just think it's all going to pan out. <laughs> um, if you're a pan-tribber, um, you're ignorant. How do you know you're ignorant? If you're driving to the airport and you see a sign that says, airport left, and you turn around and go home. You're ignorant. <laughs> if, you, if you think Meow Mix is a playlist for your cat, uh, I'm worried about you. Um, <laughs> um, or you study for your blood test. Uh, but along with that group, if you're saying, yeah, whatever, I don't, I don't want to know about end time stuff, you're choosing to be ignorant. And by the way, the Bible says not to be ignorant about six things. Six things. Um, um, we've done whole studies on things you're not supposed to be ignorant. Spiritual gifts related to the Holy Spirit. Don't be ignorant, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Um, don't be ignorant concerning Satan's devices and spiritual warfare, 2 Corinthians 2, 11. Um, the Bible says don't be ignorant about the mystery concerning Israel and God's plan for Israel, Romans eleven twenty five. 25. Um, uh, the fourth, Second Peter 3, 8, God's timing as a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Don't be ignorant about that. Number, number five, 1 Corinthians 10, 1, concerning typology and, and the, the, the types in the Old Testament. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 talks about how the rock that followed the, the children of Israel in the wilderness and water gushed out was Christ. It's a beautiful picture, type, example of Jesus. You know, the smitten rock, the water of life comes out. Don't be ignorant concerning those types, 1 Corinthians 10.1. But the last one that uh, we would say is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Don't be ignorant concerning, interestingly enough, the rapture of the church. Well, Brett, I happen to know the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Um, that's not true. <laughs> now, people that say that are lying. Brett, I, I'll show you the, the word rapture is nowhere in your Bible. Well, that's interesting because, first of all, the word Trinity is not in the Bible either. Um, there's all kinds of words that aren't in the Bible that people talk about. But, um, um, you know, um, missionary is not in the Bible, you know, as, as much either. So you're going to go, what, what, what? Should we not do that? No, here's the, the word rapture is in the Bible if you have the translation called the Latin translation or the Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible. You've got the word rapture there. And, and it comes from a, an interesting uh, a word in the Greek, harpazo which means to be caught up into the air. Uh, kind of an interesting word. So, Brett, what does the rapture have to do with this thing Solomon's bringing up, and does God destroy the righteous with the wicked? Everything. The rapture of the church has everything to do with does God destroy the righteous with the wicked. My argument is this, that God in his nature, praise be to the Lord, uh, does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. He always removes the, the righteous out first. And that's why I believe that we'll be taken out of this world before God's wrath is poured out upon this Christ-rejecting sinful world. And I believe you and I are called to comfort each other with those words. If you're a post-tribber, which there's good Christian people who believe that, that you're going to be taken up after the wrath is all poured out and the world, two-thirds of the earth dies and disease and pestilence and hailstones that are 100 pounds pounding the planet um, and, uh, di- you know, uh, p- all kinds of earthquakes and horrible th- the sun being darkened, you know, meteor showers, uh, wicked demons coming out and killing people. And f- like, if you believe that's what we're all going to have to go through, is that very comforting? 
Do I find any comfort in that? No, that, that's troubling. And that's why some of the people, post-tribbers, not all, but some, are getting bunker, bunkers and storing their Cheerios and their guns. And they're going to say, we're going we're to bunker down during the time of God's wrath. Um, and we're going to hold up in our bunker for seven years. We have seven years of food. Um, that's ridiculous. Well, Brett, I think we should be preppers. Um, it's funny because uh, on Facebook, there was a a thread that started with some people from West Lynn. What's that church building up there, you know, uh, on Eck Road? And they don't even have a cross. Is it a church? Is it a, what is it? And somebody says, I think they're one of those prepper churches. I saw when they were building the church, they, they had bunkers built underneath the church. <laughs> and the thread just went on and on, and it got more glorious as it went on about the preppers. And, the, and I was like, uh, man, I, I didn't see any bunkers uh, when we built these. We have a Sunday school class down underneath over under here. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, we're, not, we're not into that whole thing. Because, by the way, if things got that bad anyway and we're all bunkering down and you're a Christian, what are you going to do in your bunker? Starvation is going on all around you and neighbors come down to your bunker. Let us in. We're, we're dying. And you open your door. Boom! Praise Jesus. <laughs> I got my Cheerios. <laughs> is that what you're going to do? Kill them? Um, it's, it's not going to be easy in your bunker, uh, by the way, and hoarding your little food for the time of suffering. As I read Revelation 6 through 19, the tribulation period is going to be a horrifyingly bad time. And the good news is you and I are called to comfort each other because the Lord doesn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. I want to show you kind of how that works out. By the way, some people say, Brett, the pictures, you mentioned the pictures of the Bible. Um, what about the flood? The flood is a picture, an illustration of God's wrath being poured out upon the world. You, and that's true, by the way. Um, when was the first time God really judged the world, uh, the whole world at the same time? The flood. And you say, man, all those people drowned except for Noah and his family. They got saved and they went through the flood and God preserved them through the, through the flood. And so, you know, our, pre, our post-trib friends that say we're going to have to go through the tribulation, um, they say, see, that's the picture. It's not Lot being pulled out before the hot fire and brimstone comes down. It's the flood when Noah and his family had to go through. Problem, problem. It is a beautiful picture, by the way, uh, of, of what God is doing and how he pours out his wrath. The, the flood. But before the flood, there was a little dude that was taken out of the world. He didn't die, but he was taken up, raptured, if you would. Because why? Well, the Bible tells us two things about this little guy. His name was Enoch, and we know two things. He walked with God, and he pleased God. And so what happened to him? Before the rains came down and God judged the world, he took Enoch up and, and if you would, raptured him. Enoch was taken out before the flood even happened. Well, then what's Noah and his family? I believe that's a perfect picture of the Jewish people. One of the reasons the tribulation is, exists, God creates a seven-year period, one of the reasons that's happening is to wake up the Jewish people. Right now, Romans 9, 10, 11 says, blindness in part has happened to Israel, but God loves the Jews. He has a plan for the Jews, but the Jews are not righteous. The law didn't make them righteous, and they don't believe largely in, in Jesus, the Messiah. And so they're not declared righteous. And so, but the Lord loving the Jewish people, he's got a plan that he's going to reveal himself to them during that time called the tribulation. And I believe it'll be those people that God will take through the tribulation, but they will ultimately be saved. All of Israel will be saved. When, when will that happen? Interesting, Romans chapter 11 says it's, when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then all of Israel will be saved. 
See, we're living in this age called the church age, where God has used the Gentile church for a couple thousand years. It's like a time chunk in history. Um, when you read Daniel chapter 9, there's this amazing prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. When I say 70 weeks, that's a, a word in the Hebrew heptad, which is an interesting word. It means 70 weeks of seven years. So a week of seven years, and there's 70 of them, 490 years in all. It's, a, it's an amazing prophecy. We don't have time to go into it. I have done full-on teachings on the 70 weeks of Daniel. But those 490 years are determined upon, does, does anybody, you Bible students, who, who was the 70 weeks, those 490 years, who was that talking about and, and all about? What people group? The Jews. God says to Daniel, Daniel, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, Daniel chapter 9 tells us. That's Israel and the Jews. So he said the first 69 weeks, do the math, let's see, carry the one, 483 years. He said from the time that the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, will be the 483 years. That's why they should have known the very day, by the way, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. That's why Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, you should have known in this thy day. Because of Daniel's 70-week prophecies, those 483 years had been fulfilled. And then they saw Jesus ride in, but they rejected him, crucified him. He died, and then he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. At that moment, the clock stopped of the 70-week prophecy. Why? Because the Jews were scattered They rejected the Messiah, the Jews were scattered, and they ceased to exist as a nation. Um, You say, well, Brett, that's the first 69 weeks. What happened to that last week, the 70th week of Daniel? Well, that's that's that one seven-year period that's left that's determined upon Jerusalem and upon the Jews. And the Bible talks about that 70th week of Daniel. It's going to include a peace deal between a coming world leader between the Jews uh, and probably the Arabs and maybe others. And it's going to include the rebuilding of a temple. It's going to include an event where this coming world leader is going to go into Jerusalem, into the temple, and set himself up to be worshipped as God. It's called the abomination of desolation. Talked about Daniel. Jesus talked about it. Uh, We see it even in the book of Revelation. All that to say... That's that final week determined upon Israel and upon the Jews. Now, here's my question for you thinkers. If the church didn't exist in the first 69 weeks and wasn't there during the first 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy to Israel and the Jews, Jerusalem, why would the church be in the last 70th week of Daniel's prophecy? We weren't around. The church didn't exist in the first 69 weeks, and the church is not going to be there in the 70th week called the tribulation, that 70th, 70th, year period uh, is yet to come. And we're not going to be here for that. It's determined upon Israel and upon Jerusalem. And so for that reason, I'm thankful that we, we don't have to, you know, be freaked out about when God pours out his wrath. Now, don't get me wrong. Things could get worse before the rapture of the church in the world. Um, if you were in our prophecy update the other night, we talked about, you know, how things are heating up in Iran and Russia and all that. And even since our prophecy update, I could do a whole other prophecy update right now. Um, uh, we just killed Suleiman the Magnificent. Uh, I call him that because there was a guy named Suleiman the Magnificent back in the day. But, but Suleiman wasn't so magnificent. He was a bloodthirsty, horrifying guy. And we offed him. The United States, we killed him um, just a couple days ago. 
Um, and so Muslims all across the world are freaking out and they're angry, um, uh, even though this guy killed countless numbers of Americans and Jews. Um, and he was, he was even getting ready to do more dastardly deeds. And, 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 um, and our military, through drone strikes, took him out. But, you know, Iran is threatening, we're going to hit 37 of your targets. And our president said, well, we're going to, what did he say, 52? However many hostages we had back in the hostage crisis. Of, it, it's, it's, things are heating up, let's just say that. Um, I could go on and on about that. But um, Israel, did you see what happened as soon as we killed the second most powerful Iranian leader? The, they, they said, yeah, death to America, but they turned their hatred toward Israel. Did you see that? It's all about Israel. They, the, the Iranians want to see the Jews pushed into the sea, wiped off the map, and they, they don't even tr- uh, blush at saying it. Um, that's that's going to happen. They're going to they're attempt to go against Israel along with Russia, Iran, Turkey, and the stage is set for that. But don't get me started on that. <laughs> We're seeing things heat up, which gives us the hint of the fact that things are coming. The end is coming. I believe it's near. It's, it's Brett, get your sandwich board. The end is near. Go stand up on Pioneer Square and, and it'd be a weirdo uh, talking about the end. But you got to give it to the Bible. The Bible says in the last days, these nations would gather against Israel and they're gathering. Nations that n- never were even uh, aligned in any way, shape or form until the last 10 years. Now, the Bible says the Russians, Iranians, Turkey, Sudan, uh, Sudanese, uh, all these guys are going to join together. The puzzle pieces are right there. The Gog-Magog War of Ezekiel 38, Isaiah 17, the destroying of Damascus. Like all of that stuff, it could happen tomorrow and things will be ready to roll for the very end. Well, Brett, see, that makes me nervous. Not if you're righteous. If you're declared righteous... Let me show you what, you're, what we're told by Paul the Apostle. Would you turn over to 1 Thessalonians with me? I'm trying to keep this thought of um, the idea of comfort. Solomon is depressed because he said, the righteous, the wicked, there's no difference. They're all going to die like dogs. The Bible says no. The Lord does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And, and that, there's something about this that we need to be comforted in and I find great comfort when I read First Thessalonians chapter 4. So, so for those that say the rapture is nowhere in the Bible, let me show you where it is. Uh, there's a couple mentions of it. This is one of them. First Thessalonians chapter 4, um, right here in verse 13. First Thessalonians four thirteen. But I would not have you to be ignorant. See, this is one of the six times the Bible says don't be ignorant about something. I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them which also sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. Now, here's the thing about this. Um, some people come up with this idea of soul sleep. When you die, you go to sleep in the grave. And then when the rapture of the church happens, or some say in the second coming of Christ, you know, you'll be raised up out of your soul sleep. And, you know, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist or came from that tradition, you're like, yeah, soul sleep. Um, don't write me emails about how you love soul sleep and the whole idea and all that. I've, I've heard of them all. I really have. Um, I think it doesn't work biblically because part of this is the argument that no, the people aren't snoozing in the grave. It says, you know, God will bring with him those that have died and gone on. And in fact, check this out. For this we say, verse 15, unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain 
unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, or, or you know, um, proceed is, is a better word there, prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. See, right there, there, the soul sleepers awaking. But see, if you look at the original text here, it's, it's, it's almost like you could see in the, the um, active present indicative. It's, it's, it's saying those that um, are alive and remain, it says the trump of the Lord will come, but the dead in Christ are rising first, shall rise, are rising, have been rising first. In other words, if you have a loved one who's passed away, did they just go into the grave to sleep or are they with the Lord in heaven? Well, ask the dude that hung on the cross next to Jesus. He didn't say, uh, a couple thousand years you will be with me in paradise because uh, you're going to go to soul sleep in the grave and then, and then after 2,000 years, then you'll be with me. No, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's exactly what happened. And we could talk about what paradise is versus heaven. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that. But the idea is there's an idiom that, you know, when you die, you go to sleep. That's an idiom, but it's not exactly what actually happens. Um, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Abraham, I believe, is alive and well. He's not sleeping in the grave. We saw Abraham in the transfiguration, uh, awake. He wasn't snoozing, nor was Moses. Um, I believe when you die, you as a Christian go to heaven. You're with the Lord. To be, from, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's what I believe happens. So it's, I, the idea is the dead in Christ are rising first, active, present right now. That's what's happening. But it says, but, but uh, the trump of God will blow. Some people try to make this a trump in the, in the book of Revelation. So it's mid-trib or whatever, the trump in the middle of the tribulation. Those aren't trumps of God. Those are trumps of angels. This is a trump of God. This is a honking trump, not Donald Trump. If this is a, a trumpet of God, don't be confused. Um, it says, so the voice of the archangel with, a, with, a, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now here it is, verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. What's the Latin word? Rapture. What's the Greek word? Harpazo. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, check this out, verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The rapture of the church should be a, a comfort to people that are saved, that know Jesus. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now let's keep reading because he goes even further into this in chapter five, um, verse one. It says, but the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, by the way, what's the day of the Lord? That's something you should know. The day of the Lord is, is something that's not just like uh, some arbitrary thing. The day of the Lord is, is what you might define as when God steps into humanity and just does business. The day of the Lord is when God, have you ever heard somebody say, well, if God is righteous, why does he let bad things happen to good people? And why is there disease and death? And why is there warfare? And if God is loved and, and all that, that's coming. You can tell people, oh, that day's coming when the Lord does step into humanity and where God does um, reveal himself. That's called the day of the Lord. And I believe, it's my opinion, that the rapture of the church is the very first event that marks the day of the Lord. From the rapture and that forward, the, the world is going to be radically affected in ways that we've never seen before by God intervening. 
That's where he's going to pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. That's the tribulation period. Starts with the tribulation period, then it goes even through to the millennial kingdom. That's all the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord comes as a thief of the night. In other words, some people are going to be totally unaware about that. But for Christians, it shouldn't be like a thief in the night. Why is that? It says, verse 3, For when they, not us, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Why, why would we not be suddenly surprised by the day of the Lord coming? Because we're children of the light, it says there. And, and also, but of the times and the seasons, you will know. Nobody knows the day or the hour when the day of the Lord comes or the rapture of the church or any of that stuff. Nobody knows that. And if somebody tells you they know what day it is, they're, they've been drinking their bathwater. Uh, don't listen to them. That's stupid. Uh, March 22nd. I remember when I was a kid. Best-selling book. 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Coming in 1988. Best-seller until January 1st, 1989. Um, uh, when you start na- naming dates and on times and all that stuff, you've got to really be careful because um, the Bible says no. But of the times and the seasons, you will know. General, general or generalities, uh, you'll know. Look at verse 5. You are all children of the light and children of the day. You are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us, be, uh, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. By the way, what Paul says there about watching be sober, Jesus talked about that over and over again in Matthew 24 when Jesus talked about the end of the world. Don't be sleeping. Don't be chilling. Um, be aware, watching for the Lord's return. And I, I got to say that because I think the church is in one of the sleepiest states it's ever been since I've been alive. Um, remember when the Left Behind books came out and everybody got all into the uh, end time stuff and it was a big hype and everybody, I always get worried about hype. It's like a sugar high. You know, you got the, the sugar high, but then you hit the low. Um, that's where we are now. After everybody got all into, oh, the rapture of the church. And then when that all didn't happen in their time frame, people like, yeah, the left behind books, how lame, how stupid. Even though it was the best-selling series in the history, um, it's, it's funny how people still kind of um, mock that now. Um, local pastors uh, that once were people who believed in the rapture of the church. I heard a sermon by a local pastor here saying, people that believe in the rapture are stupid. And he used to be a stupid guy then because he, he, he uh, said he believed some, somewhere he got really smart and realized the rapture in his thinking was fake. What's, what's going on? There's a sleepiness in the church. And, and it's funny because Jesus said in Matthew 24, in an hour when you think not, that's when the Lord will appear. Um, so I think we're at the sleepy place. But the Bible here, Paul says, don't be sleepy, but, but watch, be sober, be vigilant is the idea. For verse seven, they that sleep in the night and they that are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse nine, huge, mark it well. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not appointed us to wrath. The tribulation period is called the time of the wrath of the Lamb. Brett, that doesn't sound very scary. I think lambs are kind of cute and cuddly. Should we be afraid of the wrath of the lamb? Lambo? Like, what's, are we really afraid of the lamb? Well, you got to understand, the lamb, remember Jesus, when he came on the scene, John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
But he's also called the lion of the tribe of Judah. The first time he came as a carpenter, the next time he comes, he's coming as a conqueror. Uh, don't be deceived by this. And, and uh, it's going to freak people out. I'll show you that in a second. But God hath not appointed us, those that are children of the light, those that are saved, Christian people, they're children of the light. It says, verse 9, the wrath is not appointed to us, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now pause for a second again. He died for us. That's, that's huge. Death is going to be a major part of the tribulation period. More than two-thirds of the planet is going to die, according to the book of Revelation 6 or 19, during the tribulation. But the reason he's saying, but Jesus died for us, the eye is so that we don't have to die. He died in our place. That's why the, the, we're called righteous because of the work of the cross. We have been given imputed righteousness because Jesus died for us. Therefore, the wrath that was meant for you and me is no longer applied to us. We are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, who died for us. Then, um, verse 10, died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Verse 11, again, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. The theme here is comfort, not wrath and judgment and death. The theme here is, hey, comfort each other. And by the way, like I said earlier, there's only one eschatological view that brings me comfort, and that is the idea of the rapture of the church before the wrath comes down, that God doesn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. All the other views of Bible prophecy bring me no comfort at all, especially if you're one saying we all have to go through the wrath of God and through the tribulation period. Um, Brings me no comfort. Well, Brett, we think you are just trying to escape uh, the, the, the tribulation period. We think you're an escapist. And one of the things I always like to say to that is, absolutely, 100% right. Um, <laughs> I, hope, uh, I hope you're an escapist too. Um, I love what Jesus told us. This is Jesus, red letters. He says in Luke 21, 36, watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. Um, and that shall come to pass. Um, Jesus said, count, pray that you be counted worthy. How are you accounted worthy to escape these things? By prayer, by confession and saying, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose up from the grave. And that prayer of confession of faith is the, the prayer that saves. And that's what Jesus is saying. Pray that you be counted worthy to escape these things. Read Luke 21. He's talking about the end times. The wrath of God being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. And so, yes, I'm an escapist. And what am I trying to escape? Well, again, Revelation 6 through 19 is where that we just hear the whole description of that tribulation period. But listen to this. It says in Revelation 6, 15, it says, And the kings of the earth, great men and rich men, the chief captains and the mighty men, every free man and every bondman hid themselves in the dens of the rocks in the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? These people that are going to be in that time called the time of wrath, Jacob's trouble, tribulation period, they're going to be saying these things. Oh, who will deliver us from the wrath of the lamb? 
Lambo might not sound very scary right now, but at that time, people are going to freak out. That's what, and they're going to be hiding in the rocks. They're not going to be able to stay in their houses and places. It's life in Afghanistan, you know, when you um, hear of these, uh, you know, Taliban guys that, you know, can't go into cities now because they were bombed and stuff. So they, they've been living in dens and rocks and caves in the mountains of Afghanistan. Like that's, that's the scene pretty much of the world in, uh, in the tribulation period. They won't be able to just live in their normal houses and stay in the places of their employment. And it's kings and paupers, mighty men, poor men. They're all going to hide themselves in the rocks, um, the Bible says. And the great day of his wrath has come. That's bad news. The good news is the Lord doesn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. When we sent those drones and shot those missiles to take out Soleimani in, in Iraq, He's a, he was an Iranian general, but he was in Iraq. Um, one of the things we attempt to do uh, as a military is we, we worry about collateral damage. And they have to weigh out. Are there going to be other people killed? But pretend just for a second um, that you're the general making the decision and you know that Soleimani's there, the target, but you also know that your children are in the room as well. Are you going to send a missile? Well, we got to off Soleimani, so sorry, kids. And you just fire off the missile? No, the reason why, you don't destroy your children with the wicked. You would never do that. The Bible says you're a total poser as a parent compared to God. Remember how the Lord says, you know, you people are uh, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father give good gifts to them that ask? In the same way, God loves you, his children, your adopted sons and daughters of God. He loves you so much. He's not going to send the missile to the people he loves. That's why he pulls the righteous out before the wrath comes. I hope you understand that that's how we comfort one another with these words. Solomon was troubled in Ecclesiastes, he didn't get that God's nature is not to destroy the righteous with the wicked. And Solomon, in his wickedness, didn't realize that the Lord is able to make even the most wicked declare them righteous by his grace. That's the plan of God, that we have goodness to look forward to, salvation. The one thing that causes me concern is those that are still in their sins. You know, you and I can sit around and go, man, at least we're saved. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, praise the Lord, we're going to heaven. And that, that's true. And we can comfort one another with these words. But the things that causes consternation in my heart is so many people that are still in their sin, unsaved. People that have yet to repent of their sins and acknowledge before God, man, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Um, so many people get it wrong. Why am I a Christian? Well, because I'll live a loving life. And like, you know, the guys I just was imitating, the, the pastors that teach, man, God loves you and you're going to live victorious and you're going to drive a fancy car and you're going to be blessed. That's ridiculous. Jesus didn't live that life. Paul didn't live that life. Peter didn't live that life. Like none of the Bible guys were driving Mercedes and living in big houses and living large and saying, we're just living victoriously, man, God. No, they, they were crucified they were, you know, one of the disciples was sawn in half lengthwise. In fact, Jesus promised if you follow him, you might just be persecuted. All who live godly in Christ shall suffer. So then well, people say, well, then why should I be a Christian? The answer is simple. It's all this stuff we're talking about. You and I, the whole world deserves death and hell eternal, but God loves us so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for us that our sins would be forgiven. 
and that we won't be part of God's wrath and judgment, but we get to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So being a Christian doesn't mean your life is going to be rosy right here and right now. And if anybody promises you that, they don't know what's going on. Don't get me wrong. I believe personally that being a Christian is the best way to live in this life. I do. But that's not why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because of what Jesus did for me, saving me from eternal death. This life is a blip on the screen. Heaven's coming. And the question is, are you ready for that? Can you be comforted today to know that you're saved by God's grace through faith? The, the way you can be sure is to know that you've confessed with your mouth. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. After Paul takes the book of Romans and spends all that time talking about, you know, um, how much of a sinner we all are. There's no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. But then he says, but, but, you know, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and then in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that it says you will be saved, that God raised him up from the dead. If you believe he did that, you'll be saved, accepting the gift of salvation. So being a Christian is not going to church every Sunday or carrying a big fat Bible or a fake smile. Jesus saves. That's not what a Christian is. You might think that's what a Christian is. A Christian is a person who repents, says, man, I'm a sinner and I deserve death but I accept the gift of God through Jesus Christ who died for my sins, was buried and rose from the grave. When you accept that work, believe that work, the Bible says you will be saved. And then we have nothing but heaven to look forward to. For the Christian, for the believer, this is as bad as it's gonna get right here and now. For the believer, we've just got nothing but glory in heaven to look forward to. And so that makes me all about sharing the gospel with others. That's what I want to be about, because I want as many people to, to know Jesus, to be saved as possible, so that they too can have that comforting word that, man, the Lord's not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked. So make sure and make that part of your deal. I've got friends that disagree on a lot of these end times things, and we'll talk about it. And Brett, you, you guys that are pre-trib stuff, you're just, you know, you're just ready to go and be in heaven. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Um, and I, I hear that accusation. And, and yet there's a false thing that they level at pre-tribbers a lot of times. We're just sitting around with our Cheerios and our bunkers. No, that's the post-trib people. And then also some people say, you're spending up credit cards because you're thinking you're going to be raptured. Well, I'm not doing that either. Um, but one of the biggest accusations, we don't care about uh, serving Christ because we all know we're just going to be raptured. I don't believe that. You see, I think maybe I'm more committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus because, man, I want people to accept Christ so that they can be saved, that they would be part of the rapture of the church and go to heaven and live eternally with the Lord. That's what I'm all about. And that's what we should be about. The spirit of prophecy, book of Revelation says, is Jesus. So we talk about Jesus, we focus on Jesus, and we believe in Jesus. That's the key. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together with these words. That's what we're told to do. Solomon needed that word of comfort. He didn't get it then, but we've got it now. Praise be to the Lord for that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. I wonder, as we just take an attitude of prayer as we close this service, I wonder if there might be a few of you that are a little concerned about whether or not you're even a Christian. Are you even saved? Have you accepted Christ? And I would just challenge you to, to really weigh that out and pray through that. You know, you may not know all the nuances of Bible prophecy or know all the scriptures, 
but, but you sense that there's something right and true. And the biggest one is, the biggest truth, I think, in this thing that we've talked about is we're all sinners. And God requires righteousness. And, and you and I, we're unrighteous in and of ourselves, but through Christ, we're declared righteous. And you need that. You need to be saved. You need to accept Christ. And, and if you've never really done that, hey, I gotta tell you, if you went to church all your life, it doesn't make you a Christian. If your parents were Christians and you're raised in a Christian home, that does not make you a Christian. If you went to mass and stood and kneeled and stood up and knelt and then did it over and over again, that doesn't make you a Christian. Um, what makes you a Christian is what the Bible says, that if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, says you will be saved. It's that simple. If you want to acknowledge that and say, Brad, I, I, I hear that. I need that. I need to be saved. I want to make sure that I, I have that forgiving grace of God in my life. Um, Brad, are you trying to scare us into being saved? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing because I'm horrified of the tribulation period and the end time and God's wrath. And everyone should be. And that's why Jesus said, pray that you be counted worthy to, be, to escape these things. And that's what I'm asking is, do you want to escape? Here's the escape right here. Just accept Christ. Believe, repent of your sins, and you'll be saved. If that's you, would you acknowledge that? Say, Brad, I want to pray that prayer. Dying on the cross, declaring it is finished. What was finished? The work of salvation for humanity. Jesus did it all. All we have to do is confess with our mouth, repent of sin, and just believe. doesn't mean we're perfect from this day forward. It means we're perfectly forgiven from this day forward. That's how we're saved. I'm just going to pray this. You can pray this with me out loud as we just confess Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose up from the grave and that my sins are forgiven. Thank you for saving me. Help me to walk with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, so great a salvation. I pray that you just wrap your loving arms around people who've just confessed you now. Lord, just put a sense in their heart that they know that their sins are forgiven, that, that there's no burden, heavy weight of sin on their shoulders anymore. Lord, I pray that we would be able to be comforted as we see the world kind of a tinderbox, just ready to set off politically and around the world, even right now, threats of war and rumors of war and all that stuff. But at the same time, relative peace and prosperity. Lord, just like your Bible tells us, we, we find that we live in these interesting times. And for that reason, we want to be ready. And we thank you, Lord, for saving us. I pray that this congregation today would be comforted with these words, knowing that you've saved us, that we have the hope of heaven. Help us to walk with you from now until that time where you come. Lord, may, we, may our light shine before all men. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We encourage you to take advantage of our media ministry by visiting us at athecreek.com anytime. There we have all of Pastor Brett's Bible studies available as a free download. 